Well, welcome back everyone to the Whitetail Theories podcast. Today on the mic, we got Hannah Markham. Hannah, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Chalk another one up. I've been on a roll with the last names. Uh, Usually I butcher them pretty hard. So, So Hannah is known on Instagram as Hannah the Plus Size Hunter, and she's been kind of making a name for herself and bringing to light a lot of topics that are often overlooked in the hunting industry. And that's what we're here to talk about today. So Hannah, do you want to kind of just give a a brief introduction on yourself? Sure, absolutely. And yeah, thank you so much for having me. I want to get that out there first. Um, So I am a mid, well, okay, I said mid, early 30s, uh, Texas hunter, that um, has been hunting for now about the last five years. Uh, And I work in marketing, have lived in Texas my whole life. And uh, yeah, just just kind of found my way into uh, hunting via my boyfriend and his dad um, and have really kind of become obsessed with it, I guess, is really, it's really the, the best way, the best way to, 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 to word it. So how did you get into hunting as far as like your boyfriend introducing you? Did he just take you out one day and was like, Hey, Hannah, you want to come hunting with me? And what, what was that experience like? Yeah. So actually he and I were, had been together for, uh, already been together for probably about five years before he even started hunting. So that was never, we weren't really, um, outdoorsy people. (laughs) Um, that kind of became something that we, we became interested in as time went on. Um, we started getting into hiking and going to national parks and things like that. And then actually his dad has always been a big hunter and, uh, he, his dad kind of went through some, some health stuff, uh, five years ago. And he, my boyfriend, Ryan was looking for a way to spend more time with his dad because he didn't really know what the future was going to look like. And he wanted the time that he had with his dad to be, um, creating those memories that could last him a lifetime. So he, got into uh, archery, started bow hunting. He hunted for that first year by himself. The entire time he was trying to get me involved, but I was just like, uh, no. (laughs) Uh, And then, so he, he hunted for, for that first year. I didn't, I was really not involved and experienced that whole hunting widow thing. Um, (laughs) he would spend hours and hours at a, uh, archery pro shop with a range so that he could, you know, practice because at that time we actually lived in the city, um, and we couldn't shoot our bows in our backyard or anything like that. Um, and because of that, I started and him, you know, just kind of, I I don't want to say beating me down, but really, I mean, that is kind of what it was. (laughs) Um, I ended up getting my own, uh, my own bow and I was content with just going with him to, to, uh, practice archery and shoot my bow. And maybe I would, you know, down the line do competitions or do 3d courses or something like that. But I never thought that I would hunt or be able to, uh, you know, kill an animal because I think that that's something that I, I hear that from women in, in my life a lot, like, Oh, I, I, I couldn't do that. And, um, that is definitely how I felt in, in the beginning. And, um, so he convinced me to just go sit with him. Um, and then I started to sit by myself and, uh, whenever I would see the animals come in, it was just a thought in my mind of like, okay, they're right there. They're 20 yards and they're, you know, their broadside. And I, like, I knew, I knew all these things just from you know, being around, um, being around him and his dad and hearing and watching the hunting shows and stuff. And so, you know, you, I started to ask myself, like, could I, 
could I do it? Could I make an ethical shot on this animal? Like, could I actually do that? Because I know that I was shooting well and, but you know, you don't know unless you do it. And so he, he had that conversation with me, like, well, you know, there's only one real way to know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And that kind of did it. And and my, my first year um, solidified that. And here we are. So let me, let me rewind here a little bit. So you kind of had mentioned it, that your reservations of getting into hunting were that you weren't sure whether or not you could kill an animal. Did you have, did you have any other reservations beyond that? Um, I think, I mean, and even still today, it absolutely is that like, I don't want to, I don't want an animal to suffer at my hands. You know, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm making an sure. shot and, um, doing the right thing. And, but yeah, I think, I think a lot of it was actually, um, some of it was the perception of like, Oh, like you're killing something. Mm -hmm. And what does that, how, how, like, how do you deal with that? And like, also the perceptions of like people around you, especially when you did have, like you didn't grow up hunting. Um, I went dove hunting went like with my dad he hunted and we would just be with him and it was maybe like two or three times whenever I was growing up um but I didn't have like a family of hunters around me didn't really grow up I mean I grew up in Texas so obviously like hunting is not like a foreign concept to me (laughs) just it wasn't anything um that was like super close to me that like I experienced in childhood or anything like that so I think I did have some reservations because of like other people's perceptions too. Sure. So you got into hunting through archery and that seems to be more common nowadays than like back when I first got into hunting, I started with a rifle. What, what made you go that route? And then how long did it take for you to be comfortable with archery equipment till you were ready to go hunting? Yeah. So a part of that, um, that process that I, I talked about earlier with, with my boyfriend trying to find something, um, to do with his dad was, um, we did go out with him and shoot guns. Um, because that's also something that he, he likes to do. And, um, I personally have never been super comfortable with firearms. Um, I, for me, I, I figured it out now, but um, at that time, I didn't necessarily know exactly why. But um, when I went dove hunting with my dad, my dad had me shoot his 12-gauge shotgun. I was probably like 12 years old. It was a side-by-side, like old gun. The recoil just like freaked me out. And I decided like, no, guns are not for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, I think I, I've, I've battled some, you know, some issues just, just with that experience. And so for me, um, I wasn't comfortable with, with guns and, but that first time shooting a bow, I went to that pro shop and, you know, you pull it back and release and you're only shooting like maybe 10 yards, maybe five. Um, but just that like feeling of like, oh, that feels pretty cool. Like, it's just, it's not, um, it is just very different than shooting a gun for me personally. Um, it, it's a lot more intimate. Yeah. And it just feels a little, like a little more controllable too. Like you have, you have a little bit, which now I know that like with firearms, like you actually are a lot of what you do is, has to do with the gun and what happens and things like that. And so I, I have a lot more knowledge now um, mm-hmm. about that, but um, definitely didn't then, but uh, it just felt so much more approachable to me and uh, going into it with that, that thought of like, yeah, okay, I'll shoot, I'll shoot a bow at, uh, I'll shoot an arrow at a target, but I'm, but this, you know, this is where that's where that's going to go. <laughs> um, at, at that time felt like something, um, that I could agree to for sure. Would you looking back on how you got into hunting, would you recommend that route for new hunters as well? Like jumping straight into archery? Cause I always go back and forth when I have discussions about this with new hunters, 
whether to go the archery route. And you kind of got to feel, feel out the personality, right? So go ahead. That's kind of, I agree with you on that. Like, I think that part of it probably, because I think what you're, I think part of it probably is whatever that person, because my boyfriend was obviously very enthused, like just like gung-ho for archery. And so that's what he was spending a lot of his time doing. And so I wanted to be, I wanted to spend time with my boyfriend. And so that's the route that we went. Um, but if you are, if someone is shooting guns often like that, that might be the right route for them to get their, you know, child or wife, girlfriend, whatever it, friend, um, into it. Uh, but so I don't know, that is a, that's a hard, that's a hard, like to give like a generalization is, is too difficult to just say, yeah, go, go try it. Um, but I mean, if people haven't ever shot a bow, I would say, you know, yeah, just go like go to a pro shop and they'll let you try them. And like, it feels pretty cool. <laughs> um, but also like I now, um, I had never really had a whole lot of experience with shooting, um, 22s and like, I have a lot of fun doing that too. So, so yeah, I think that there's just a lot of different ways to go about it, to get people to into it. That's not intimidating and that it can have fun and it can be, you know, just like a very slow progression. Right. Exactly. And I think one of the things that's often overlooked too, is when you look at the process of killing an animal with archery equipment versus a rifle. And this is just my own personal opinion. It is a lot more intimate because the animal is getting into 20 yards where you can see it's eyelashes versus potentially with a, a firearm you're shooting it maybe at like a hundred yards or 80 yards or a little farther away, obviously. And that whole aspect of the harvest, I think is can sway people whether they, stay in hunting or get out of hunting after their first kill. Yeah, I would agree. I would completely agree with that because whenever I first started, yeah, like you said, you can, they come into 20 yards, you can literally hear them crunching on food mm -hmm. and they don't know that you're there. And it's that experience of like, and that has, that really doesn't have a ton to do with with killing an animal, just being able to watch them and, and their behavior and be in front of them um, and then not know that you're there. That part of it is what keeps me going back every single season, waking up, you know, at three and 4 a.m. because it's just unlike anything that you get to do in your daily routine, um, that is just so fascinating. And I think everyone should get to experience it. And yeah, it's just, that is definitely very different than, than if you are hunting with, with a rifle and especially like those long range, <laughs> those long range hunters. Like I can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole nother subject and rabbit hole. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. Uh, so Kind of just wrapping up the intro here. What is one thing that you wish you knew when you got into hunting that you knew that you know now? Oh wow! Um, for me personally, I think it would be to not put so much pressure on myself. Like, no one is watching you as closely as maybe people might think. Um, and the people around you too should be supportive of you and uh, mentoring you too through through things. And, and you don't, oftentimes we don't learn um, until we make those mistakes. So yeah, that would be one thing that I don't know that I would listen to myself in the beginning if I told myself that. <laughs> <laughs> but looking back on it now, I think, yeah, I was, I was pretty tough on myself. Um, putting a lot of pressure on myself too. So what, what were some of the mistakes that you made starting out that you, you kind of beat yourself up over and then how did you get through those trials and tribulations? 
So uh, I think one of the things that I, I don't regret it, but I almost, I felt a lot of pressure to get in, in your first season, get an animal. And um, I did, and it was my first deer. The scenario that happened was like the perfect scenario passed through he went 15 yards fell fell over um I think it was a heart heart double lung like just great wonderful shot um and which is amazing my next you know I've I've definitely had misses and um shot low and uh things like that and that's very hard to deal with um emotionally <laughs> um because you never want to hurt you never want to wound an animal you never want to you know be to not be able to find it and then it end up go you know being being wasted and that life was wasted um but I think too it is something that if you've been hunting long enough it's gonna happen and so it's just like a reality that we have to deal with. And, and I'm glad that it didn't happen with my first year. If that is the case with, with some people, I'm, I'm, I imagine that a lot of people probably don't, don't continue to hunt. Um, but if they do, I think that that's great because you just are going to learn from that experience. Yeah. And yeah. And analyze what happened, what went wrong. Um, yeah. <laughs> No, I completely agree with you. I think that's one of the, the big things that new hunters do is they really beat themselves up through some of the trials and tribulations that eventually they're going to go through, whether it's their first year, whether it's their 20th year. It's like you said, eventually that situation is going to happen and you got to push through it. Learn from the mistakes that you potentially made on that hunt and try not to do it again. Because like you said, nobody wants to be in that situation and then nobody wants to put the animal through that situation either. Right. And I think too, one thing, especially last season, I did, I got a, I got my biggest buck um, and we did recover him, but it was like, we, we tracked him for, I think it ended up being 200 yards. Um, the blood was really good for a lot, a long way of it. He did cross a property line, which we had permission to cross um that property line which was very fortunate that he that the deer went over that fence and not one that was like probably 50 yards another way <laughs> um but I uh in my mind was so because I do get that like buck fever like where I get my adrenaline goes really haywire and I start shaking and I I know now to try to like control my breath and that's what I was doing in that moment um, but I misjudged that deer's position to me. I thought he was broadside, but he was actually quarter and towards me. And so my shot was further back than I thought. Um, and so in that, you know, I know now if to really try to like, instead of like, in addition to trying to control my <laughs> adrenaline that I also really need to to, to focus on on the deer and not try to you know make a shot happen that's not there yeah that we probably all do that like without a doubt it's a it was the biggest buck that I had seen um within you know 20 yards of me to date of like my hunting journey and I yeah that's just you, you don't know what you don't know um right. so yeah that's definitely a, a, a huge learning lesson that you don't people oh, oh I'm sorry people definitely don't um I think you don't get it until you experience it like a lot of those types of situations well I want to caveat that with there's also the flip side of that that if you wait for the perfect circumstance that that may never come that's a good point. And that's sometimes, sometimes I think that I do that too, that I, that I wait. Um, and I, I lose opportunities because I'm sitting there questioning, um, should I, should I not, uh, is this, is this deer big enough? And yeah, all of those things. 
Yeah. Like that's, that's a great, great point because it kind of, you have to ask yourself, like, what are you, why are you doing, like, why are you sitting there in the blind, in the tree, whatever it is that day and the deer that walks out, like if it gets your, like your blood pumping and it's a, it's a legal deer in your state to take, why are you sitting there like thinking so hard about it? Um, <laughs> I'm so guilty of that. I'm so guilty of that. Like, oh, is this, is this, should I give it another year? You know, that whole, that whole conversation. Um, and I talk about my boy, I talk to my boyfriend about that a lot. Like, oh, you know, I don't know. Is it big, like, should I, like, is it big enough? Is it old enough? Is it mature enough? Um, yeah. And depending on the person you, that you're talking to, they're going to give you a different answer. So really you kind of have to figure out how you feel about it. Well, let me, let me pick it, piggyback off of this topic that you just brought up. Cause this is a really good rabbit hole that I love to go down. So the whole uh, should I give it another year? Um, is it this? Is it that? And then ultimately not taking that shot. How much information and just experiences do you think that you're losing by not harvesting an animal and then potentially going tagless that season? Now, I, I think that really depends on the hunter. If you have the, the mindset to analyze basically every hunt and every scenario in different situations, you'll still improve on those skills, that skill set as a hunter, but ultimately you're not going to improve in your main skill set of why we're all out there. And that's to kill, to harvest animals. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. That's a great point. That's true because you only get so many opportunities each year to actually release an arrow on a live animal, feel those emote, like what your, your adrenaline's doing, um, you can't replicate those things when you're practicing. Right. Um, and so, yeah, if it's a doe, if it's a, yes, a legal deer for you, but not to, like, not a, um, societally mature. And I'm, I'm, I'm using, <laughs> I'm using air quotes that you cannot see, um, <laughs> uh, um, deer that like, if you posted it on online that people would be like, Oh, that's a, you know, that way to go killer kind of thing. Um, you're right. Like you missed out on that experience where you just honed your skills because you let those things change your behavior. Yeah. That's a great, that is a great point. And it's, it's something that I'm, learning and I hope that like this coming this upcoming season I do differently that I just if I see it I like it I can have it I get it that's like that I think that's like that Nicki Minaj song or something like (laughs) (laughs) um yeah maybe I just need to have like that mantra in my head or something because I have had so many situations like that where I just am like oh do um Mm -hmm. and then and then that in that second where i had the chance it's gone so so yeah i think a lot of hunters go through that in today's age because of social media because of our peers our other other hunters potentially either bashing them or just what they're going to be thought of when ultimately it really doesn't matter i mean you're going, you're the one eating it. You're the one putting it on your wall. You're the one doing whatever with it. Who cares what anybody else thinks? That's right. It's, and then like a month from now, like they've moved on and nobody cares. Exactly. Probably not <laughs> even a month, a couple hours. Yeah. Yeah. yeah pro- you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. No, but, um, so I want to talk about, uh, kind of what you're doing through your Instagram page and kind of the media that you're putting out. It looks like you're quite the gear junkie. Yeah. So I am actually like, it's very interesting because I'm really not in, um, my, my life. I'm, I'm really not that much of like a gearhead. Um, my boyfriend definitely is, he's always the one that's like reading reviews. Like he's the type of person that, um, if we, for instance, like needed, he wants a new TV and like, we have like the TV we have is fine. He's going to be mad that I brought this up, but hi, hello, sorry. Um, (laughs) he wants a new TV. And so he's the type that like, 
reads all the reviews and wants to find the best one for the best value. And like, that's his, like, he'll go on YouTube, watch tons of videos, like read reviews on Best Buy, compare them to other websites. Like that's the way he is. I'm kind of not that way. Well, that's really shifted for me personally through um, getting into hunting. And you mentioned that my name on Instagram is Hannah the Plus Size Hunter and being a plus size woman. Getting into hunting uh, five years ago, really shopping for, for camo six years ago, and the struggle that I went through I'm sorry. Doing, doing those things, um, going into those big, big box stores and, you know, going into the camo section and you see, like, you see a lot of camo, but then you go over to the women's side and it's like tiny. And so then you search through those racks and trying to find your size and it's like, it doesn't exist. Um, and so it was a challenge and my boyfriend encouraged me to, share my experience. Um, and because he was like, you're, there's no way you're the only one going through this. Um, and I think we're seeing it a lot more online now, especially in hunting. Well, in just in general, that like representation matters. Like people want to see someone that looks like them out there. Um, and sh me showing clothing on my body, um, how it fits, why I like it, maybe why I don't like it. Um, something that uh, the pros and cons about a specific piece um, has like taken off in a way that I never expected it to, <laughs> expected it to um, because I actually have a ton of women um, of all shapes and sizes that follow me, not just plus size women. And I've actually, over the last uh, two years, have kind of gone on a, like a different, you know, health journey or whatever, and I've lost some weight. So I'm potentially may not be, I still am currently plus size, but I'm like getting that plus size size is getting smaller and smaller. Um, so like, maybe I won't be plus size, um, you know, in a year from now, but it's really not about, um, necessarily being plus size, but yeah, just showing, uh, women's gear and talking about what our challenges to like fit our bodies. Uh, it's gotten a ton better women's gear in general over the last five years. And it's getting better, like in this last year, uh, I think Badlands women's line releases, today um and that's a like it's just it's amazing to see how women are being considered where they ne haven't necessarily been before in hunting and like things are being made specifically for us and like they're listening to us they want to hear our opinion our voices um and I think that those things just break down those barriers to entry for women who are interested in hunting, but never really knew how to get into it. Because like if, if, if five years ago, if, if you walk into a big box store, go to the camo section, go to the women's section, look for your size and it's not there. Like, I wonder if that makes some women say, oh, well, I can't hunt because there's no clothes for me, which sounds silly to some people. And I totally get that. Um, but I think that that is, has happened and does happen. I don't understand how that potentially sounds silly. Like, so even if you look at it from this standpoint, if a woman walks in or anybody for that matter, walks in to buy hunting clothes and they don't have clothes that properly fits them, they get what they can get whatever potentially is there, right? So I remember as a kid, I would be wearing either handy-downs or like big baggy clothes because like I'm relatively thin. I'm, I'm a tall, lanky guy. And I remember in rifle season here in Pennsylvania, I'd freeze my ass off. Right. <laughs> so 
So I would be complaining to my, my pat, my grandfather, like by eight o'clock, Hey, we need like, I'm freezing. Let's get out of here. So you factor in like that kind of mindset. What kind of retention are we having in the hunting industry for these types of people? Right. And I think too, like, yes, I'm glad, like, thank you so much for, for making that point, but not everybody has that, um, that same mindset because I, yeah, I hear from, it's not a lot that I get a lot of negative comments, which I'm very thankful for, but yeah, I, I definitely hear conversations about like, well, what, like, okay, just wear, just wear men's gear. And like, I am the opposite of you. I am five, four and I'm plus size. So I'm like, little I like to say (laughs) that I have like the like I am like the Danny DeVito body type which I'm I'm not necessarily but it's just like that visual you know gives people a good good visual like I'm I'm short and very um like broad shouldered and so I and it doesn't like women we our body shapes are so diverse like it just like, and not only that, like we have, we get pregnant, we have babies, hormones, like our body, every month, our body goes through these changes where we bloat and like our pant size change and things like that. And yeah, when you, when you add that into being warm out in the outdoors, being comfortable, wearing pants that aren't too long, that aren't going to drag on the ground, that you'll trip, potentially trip and hurt yourself, like all of those things are actually very important for getting someone interested in hunting and retaining them for years and years to come. Because you're absolutely right. If it's cold and you're out there and you're freezing your ass off, like you said, um, like, and it's that person's first time, like how much fun are they having? Um, So yeah, all of those things are super important, even though, yeah, at the end of the day, it's a pair of pants, but a pair of pants can make or break someone's, you know, hunting journey. Exactly. Yeah, I totally agree. So when you're doing these reviews, how are you going through and breaking down each piece of equipment? So I, I do really try to think about as much as I can based off of feedback that I've gotten from all of the people, the women that follow me and and have conversations with me. So I try to think about, um, fit obviously is huge, hugely important. Um, I like things that stretch because of all the things I just mentioned, like, like when you're, you could be sitting, standing, kneeling, um, laying on the, you know, laying prone. Um, and so how are how are, how is that going to, um, hinder you, restrict you, the, so those types of things, like, can you bend over, kneel down, um, how does that feel, length, also noise, um, is something that I try to pay a a lot of attention to as a bow hunter, um, I have a pair, um, of, like, a set, like, a mid-weight set that I really like, it's so nice, it's so comfortable, so warm, but it is so, loud and I tried it actually again (laughs) for turkey season in New York um and I had uh the same experience with it with a different hunter it was actually my boyfriend's uncle I went hunting with him that I had with my boyfriend and his dad the season before for whitetail um walking in the swishing um they both turned around and looked at me like oh, this is not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> and then his uncle did the exact same thing to me, like during turkey season. And so that, that kind of just solidified like, okay, these need to go in the, in the donate, in the donate pile. Um, so yeah, communicating those types of things to women. Um, just thinking about also the different types of styles of hunting that women do. Um, I predominantly sit, sit in a blind um, or sometimes a tree. I like, I prefer a tree, but in Texas, they're tall trees are, you know, limited. Um, (laughs) they're hard to come by. Um, but you know, like some people spawn stock, they do like elk, elk hunters and things like that. So camo, camo pattern options. Um, if it doesn't, if I don't like it, I, I try to say like, if you do this style of hunting, this might be great for you. It doesn't work for me. Um, 
because there are pros and cons to everything and we all have different preferences. So I do try to be very, um, you know, thoughtful about how I talk about things. I, I never want to just like totally bash something because I mean, just because I don't like it. Um, because there, there could be people who love it and I just don't want to like kill their vibe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get that. So are you also giving feedback to the companies and yeah. are, are they, are they giving you product to review or is this all bought and paid for out of your own pocket? If you don't mind me asking. So that's a great question. I started my page as a, like my tagline is that I do unsponsored unbiased reviews, which means like I'm paying for this. I don't, they, I'm not sponsored by anyone. I'm not on anyone's pro staff, which that is true. I am not on any pro staff. Um, I have been sent product here and there, but the majority of it is me spending my own money on it because I do think that that changes the way that we talk about it. If I got sent something for free, like, yeah, I like it. It's free. Whereas if you spent 500 bucks on it, like I'm going to be way more critical of that thing. Um, as my page grows, obviously I had brands reach out to me and want to send me things. It's been very few and far between. Um, and that's something that I am trying to like think about for me personally. I want to keep like my integrity of like always being honest, which yeah, like if I'm getting something for free, does that change the way I can talk about it? Um, that's a discussion that I always try to have with if a brand wants to send me something. So sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So with you kind of mentioned how like things have changed quite a bit in the last five years where do you see it going in the next five years oh man i just hope it keeps i hope that it just keeps getting better um and one thing that i will say that i have i have seen more brands come out with women's lines which is wonderful um the thing that has not necessarily caught up is the size range is not the same between the men's line and the women's line. So like a lot of men's lines go up to a 4X. Um, whereas women's, I still see quite a few brands that go to an XL. Um, I would like to see like at least a 2X for women being a standard considering that the average size of a woman like is a size 16, which is like a 2X. Um, the conversation that's had about that, like the reason why brands say that they, they don't do that is because like inventory and like they're, they're, the demand isn't there, but I just, I don't, I don't, I don't actually, I don't think that that's true. Um, I don't know that cause like, I don't see their, you know, their purchase, their purchases, but I just think that. Women don't know what's like, from my experience, a lot of women don't know what's actually out there because they have, if they've been hunting their whole lives, let's say like they grew up like you. Um, yeah, they're still wearing men's gear because that's what, that's what was available for them. And they've found something that works for them at this point. And so they stopped looking. So I think that my page, I actually do get quite a few women who have been hunting for years and years that come to my page and say, oh my gosh, like I had no idea that there were so many options out there now. Uh, thank you so much for, like, thank you so much for showing me. Um, so yeah, it's about getting the word out there too. That's a really good point and something I've never really considered. Like a lot of people, a lot of people stick with what works. And once they find something that quote unquote works for them, you don't really see a whole lot of change. Um, and then, like you said, getting the word out. So what, what, like, this is kind of going to be a shout out to DSG, but, um, they have quite the range, don't they? Don't they run like a four X extra small to like a four extra large? 
They go, they have an extra small all the way up to a 5X. And they are the only women's brand that has that range up to that range. So from like, from what I've seen, I could be wrong, but like, I've looked at this, I've looked at a ton of brands out there and I have never, I had, there are very few that go even to a 3X. Most of it, if it's an, extent, an, an extended line, it's to a 2XL. So yeah, DESG has right now cornered the market for plus size women. And I, I am very, like, I am very uh, close with DSG. I love Rochelle, her and I, <laughs> she's like supported me from the beginning. And yeah, I, they're a great company, great gear. I just want like such great things for them because I, I love what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. She's a good lady. Um, that whole team over there, they do good work. Uh, we had them on the podcast before. I heard, I listened to that. <laughs> so, uh, you kind of have mentioned where you see it going in the next five years. Uh, you mentioned how the, the lack of sizing is one of the big things that is needed currently. What else do you think is potentially um, lacking in the women's apparel clothing industry? So I think um, for sure a lot of it is like a lot of what's out there right now I think is geared probably mostly towards whitetail hunting. Um, and I'm seeing a lot more of like different brands opening up their lines towards upland duck, like all, like all of those things, um, which I like, I don't, I don't do the, like, I don't hunt. I haven't done upland hunting or duck, duck hunted, um, which I, I mean, I would like to, I just haven't done it yet. Um, but yeah, like I think, opening up those, those women's lines to include those types of gear, like waiters. I know I get this a ton. I get it a ton from, from women that, um, women's waiters are like a diamond in the rough. Like it's just, is so impossible for women to find, um, a good pair of waiters. Cause a lot of them are sized by shoe size. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're short, like they can go up to like, go up into your armpit and like, or even higher. And so that just doesn't, <laughs> just doesn't work um so I think that that's a great thing to see and I hope that that also continues to just expand across all the different brands that are out there because like I said all women have different preferences different budgets and giving those those different options for women is a wonderful wonderful thing um have you looked into like the fishing line for waiters now I I know this isn't really a uh hunting specific and and most of the time you look at waders as far as the fishing line goes they're breathable waders so durability can potentially be in question but uh i was pretty sure that patagonia and orvis had uh, a pretty solid women's line have you looked into that at all i haven't and i don't know like yeah that's a good point like if, if women wore base layers underneath a fishing wader would that be something that would be tolerable <laughs> in like cold duck cunning conditions? I don't know. That's a great point. I have never thought about that. So I will consider it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, there are, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not the best for the situation, but like, I know with my specific waders, like I have Sims waders and they're breathable waders. They have Gore-Tex on basically from the knees down, but they work basically just like an outer shell. So you're going to stuff all your regular layers like you would for hunting. I basically wear my hunting uh, gear for steelhead fishing. I'm fishing up in Erie in two feet of snow. It might be 10 degrees, but moving in and out of brush, that's where you potentially run into the issue as compared to like a quote unquote hunting waiter sure but you could always pack it in too true true yeah cool yeah no that's great i mean yeah absolutely i love it any option that works for people i'm all for it and i think i think you will see some of these niches start creating more and a, a better quality women's line uh eventually like baby steps right 
that's a great, and that's a great point that you said better quality, because I actually recently, like a couple weeks ago, just went through Academy, um, which I, I feel pretty confident in being able to say that like, they haven't always had the, the, the best quality of, of options for women. Um, but I went through there and it's not even, it's like dove season is coming up. So like, they didn't have a ton of stuff out there just in general. Cause it looked like they were getting that area like ready. Um, but like I found a, you know, pair of pants and top that were like very comparable to some like some higher end, you know, online only like specialized camo that it, and it was affordable, but it was also like the quality was, was there. So I think that in addition to there being more options, the quality of those options is also increasing, increasing for women, which like, like you said, when you were a kid getting youth camo, like it, the quality wasn't there. And mm -hmm. so now I think that they're like, they're also putting thought and attention into those women's lines and youth lines too. So I, I love that. For sure. For sure. All right. Uh, before we kind of wrap this podcast up, uh, I wanted to kind of talk about the perception of uh, not necessarily just women, but the perception of you need to look a certain way or you need to act a certain way uh, within like as a hunter, if you will. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. So I, I am like not a fan of that, that concept. Um, I personally, like for me, I think that the thing that was, that went through my head a lot, um, when I first started, I, and even today, like, I almost feel like pressure as a woman to prove myself as like a hunter. And so that means that like every season, if it's, if it's like, if it's deer season, I better get a deer because if I don't, then people are going to be like, oh, she doesn't even like, she doesn't even kill anything. Um, which like we all know, which is so mean, like to say, because we all know, and we've all had those seasons where, first of all, you just like, don't see anything. <laughs> right. Like it is just like not your year. Like you just like, you put in the time, but it just didn't work out. Um, so like, that's one factor, but then you just never know people like you just to put pressure on someone to like, feel like they have to you know, put, put a deer in the truck, um, no matter the me the means of how they do it, I think is dangerous. Um, and so I think, and to put that pressure on yourself, like, because you feel that you feel like people are putting that pressure on you. I just would er encourage people to, to push back from that. Um, if you're a woman, like, and you hunt, like you are a hunter, regardless of if you like notched a tag or not. Um, let, hold on. Let me, let me interrupt. Let me interrupt you real quick. So you brought up a really good point about like the pressure to, uh, get a harvest, make a kill. And you're seeing that like more and more today through social media where you're seeing these like celebrity hunters that are actually poaching so that they can stack up kills on their social media or whatever. Do you think that you're noticing the pressure more because you're in the industry? Um, see, and I feel like for me personally, it's going the opposite way. Like seeing all of these stories come out, like, or like people getting, you know, charged with like poaching or like, like all of those things that are like coming out and coming into light. I think that that makes it seem more, um, real for a lot of us that like oh these th this is how they're do this is actually and we also know that like the some of those guys go to outfitters but they make it appear as though they're hunting public land also and um just to kind of give themselves like more credibility which <laughs> that's a whole other topic but um yeah, for me, it kind of makes me lean the opposite way of like, oh, okay, so that's how they're doing that. So they're not any different from me. So why am I like putting pressure on myself? Like, this is, 
this is silly. Um, I mean, for sure, I, the, the only, the thing that I should be thinking about is that like, I want to provide meat for my family, uh, throughout the year, like beyond that, nothing else really matters. Um, and so I'm happy that like, I've kind of, um, for lack of a better word, I guess, woken up <laughs> to, to a lot of those things. Um, because yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Do you feel pressure from the people that look up to you and rely on you for information and, and look at you in a light of a mentor? No, because I would rather be honest about like this, like I, tr I drove from Texas to New York to hunt turkeys. Cause I, I really enjoy uh, turkey hunting and I missed all my shots. And I was very honest about that because I would rather be honest about what actually happened to women who are just getting started and giving them that perception of like, I, I mean, and I'm, I am not, <laughs> I'm not an expert. I'm not the best hunter. I feel like I probably am the worst turkey hunter that's out there. <laughs> um, but I would rather be, I would much rather be authentic and honest about it and help them feel better about their circumstances than try to portray something that I'm not. For sure. Yeah, no, for sure. So you were talking about pushing back. Uh, let's dive into that a little bit more because I, I, it's somewhat relatable in my own life. Like when you're out hunting public land and you come across other hunters, do they look at you differently? Like, do you get the eyeball? Like, what are you doing out here? Not necessarily that it's like, what are you doing out here? They're just surprised to see you. Um, I have for sure. I'm very lucky that my group like of people that I am surrounded by that I, that I get to hunt with, um, have never treated me differently. Um, if anything, they like love that I'm out there and they want me to succeed. They want me to, they want to do what they can to help me keep going. Um, and I'm very, very, very thankful for that. But I have had those moments where like, um, you know, we're, this actually happened with my first year, we were on a lease where, um, the property, like next to us, the, the guys leasing it, were out at, at their camp. Um, when, whenever we were leaving and they stopped us cause they wanted to see, the deer that we had in the truck and, um, I get out and they're like, they are talking to me about my deer and they kind of like, they, I didn't really notice it at the time, but like looking back on it now, I think in like the, having more experience, they were kind of like, yeah, that's okay because you're a woman. Um, that was kind of the feeling, like the conversation that was had, because then after that they were having conversations about that they wish that there were antler restrictions like in our area. And like my deer was my, it was my first deer. And like, it wasn't, he was like super crooked. <laughs> um, he was actually missing a toe. And so one side was like uh, pushed in and like, so, I mean, I didn't know that. Cause how do you, like when you're inexperienced, like you can't, you can't really, you don't really see those things, but, um, but yeah, like those types of situations, they absolutely do happen. Um, and it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that uh, people just see a woman and they maybe think, oh, well, she's just doing it for attention or, or whatever the case may be. Um, and it sucks to have to like experience those things. But I think that's just, it, I don't wanna say that it's just part of it. Um, Cause I don't think that any woman should just accept it. Um, but definitely you get to choose. You get to choose who you take mentorship from, who you get to get advice from, who you want to hunt with and be around. And I think that's the biggest takeaway. Like if people don't make you feel good um, that you surround yourself with, like don't do it. How do you think we go about changing that perception? 
I know that's a really hard question. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Um, I think you just have to be. You have to focus on yourself first and foremost, and doing the right thing, and hunting ethically, and you know, um, presenting yourself positively online too, because that's something that we're seeing as hunters, you know, the, 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 the kids that like post like the stuff that goes viral, that just like, that makes us, that make, that has nothing to do with being a woman. Like that just makes everybody look bad. Like, just don't do that kind of stuff because you're going to ruin it for all. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, personal responsibility <laughs> and accountability, I think goes a long way. I'm trying to think how to word this. So how come, how come the community of hunters, like especially because I would say the majority of hunters think like you think like me, that makes up the mass of the hunting, but you see like the sexualization of hunting, you see like the stuff on Instagram where kids are posting naked pictures with dead animals, stuff like that, that kind of like just bull crap that goes viral. Like why is that stuff occurring and being tolerated? I think it's occurring because of the reason that you just said it goes viral and kids want that. Like you want that attention, not even kids, people, like certain people want that at attention. Um, and because it goes viral and people see that it went viral, then other people get that idea in their head to do it. And it just like spreads literally like a virus. And it, uh, how do we stop it from happening? I think the, the best answer would be to not give it attention. Um, and that, that goes, that goes towards also, you know, the, the women, you know, taking and posing picture pictures in a certain way that, are meant to get attention from, I mean, I'm sorry to say it, but like predominantly men, like don't do it. Don't like those pictures. Don't comment. Don't like follow them because if you don't do it, like you're not feeding the fire really. Do you think there's um, a certain accountability towards manufacturers too in the industry that maybe they should up their standards. I mean, obviously it's their business. They can do what they want, but. Um, oh, sure. I mean, we all know, like we all know like sex sells. So I work in marketing and like um, go to, and I work actually um, in financial services, but within the trucking industry. And so I, I not in the last year, but I've gone to trade shows and um, you know, our market is predominantly male for like my job. And so at some of these trade shows you have like, booth girls um, that are there to draw people in. And so like, yeah, that exists everywhere. And so <laughs> how do you, how do you get companies to not use that type of uh, tactic? Oh gosh, I don't know. I mean, I think that some of the things that we see happening um, just like in society, you, you would hope that um, that type of thing is kind of, dying down um but yeah i think there's always going to be outliers out there that like that hold on to that that um kind of thing <laughs> well ultimately like this is my thought process on the whole thing so you see that kind of stuff and then like in my head i'm like thinking how is this even a viable marketing tactic because anybody with half a brain knows one, that person is being paid to set up those type of photos. And then two, they have nothing to do with hunting. Like that person has never killed anything. So if I'm looking for specifically me, if I'm looking to purchase gear, if I'm looking to purchase equipment and it's being represented by a person that doesn't even use it or isn't a reliable person that, uh, I don't know, has a name with credentials back behind them how how are they selling anything you know what i mean like i don't even understand how this stuff exists 
Yeah. So I, yeah, that's a great point. And I think that you hit the nail on the head because as I said, like the reason why my page has been so successful is because I look, I'm showing myself as a hunter who hunts. This is why I like this product. Um, because I actually look like a lot of the women who are hunting too. And so they come to my page, they see me and they say, oh yes, I, I can identify with her. So I believe and trust and like, I'm going to like buy this thing because, because I believe what she said. Um, there absolutely is value in that. A lot of companies are coming around to that. Whereas like, if they're exactly what you just said, they're, a, there is a photo of a, of a model, um, wearing camo. Like I, I don't identify with that. That doesn't tell me that that's going to fit my body. Um, and yeah, I hope that that continues, but I don't know. <laughs> well, here, here's a prime example. You like, you can look at it from the, the man's side of things, the men's side of things. Okay. Cam Haynes has tons and tons of uh, I just lost the word. He has tons and tons of marketing contracts uh, through Under Armour, blah, blah, blah. The list goes on. Cam Haynes looks a certain way. 99.9% .9 of the hunting population does not look like Cam Haynes. But that exact same stuff, like, I mean, he can just move weight as far as product goes. That's why he's able to charge so much for his, his, uh, services. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think, I mean, and now obviously you and I are talking, more, <laughs> talking a lot more like marketing tactics, um, which a lot of people I think don't necessarily know about, but yeah, the influencer marketing, um, thing, you know, is really, it's really big right now, but I also think that people are beginning to see um, or like wake up to maybe some of the like negatives of it and some of the like maybe not real, like the, that there, there are some shady kind of things that go on too. Um, because you're right. These people, like this one person can make a a ton of money. Um, and is that better than like other marketing options, like spreading it around to like, you, you know, like, do you know what I mean? hundred percent. Yeah. So I agree with you. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, I, it is very interesting that like certain people get amplified, I think in, in, in the hunting community. Um, that don't really represent the mass, the masses. <laughs> right. Well, right. Exactly. So you look at, you look at like Nike shoes, right? They're all endorsed by professional basketball players and their market is average Joes that are never going to be professional basketball players. But at least those basketball players have the credentials behind them where like, in this industry, it's like ass backwards where like they don't have any credentials. It's just some rando. They're not like a stud killer or, uh, or whatever. And that, I don't know. It's just something I've been thinking about for the past week or so that I, you, before we got on the air, like kind of got my wheels spinning. <laughs> no, I get it. I understand. And, and it is, it is, uh, I, think that it will even out if that makes sense like I think at, at a certain point um people will really kind of stop uh, being influenced at a certain like at a certain point I think and I would imagine and it would be very fast I would and this is also like a marketing <laughs> a marketing person's brain but I would be so fascinated to know um what Cam Haynes is like follower turnover is, um, if that makes sense, because I would imagine that a lot of people come to him 
when they're first getting started and then can't relate at a certain point and then leave. I find that very interesting too. So, <laughs> right, exactly. I would be curious to see those numbers as well. I mean, that's like, I don't know if that thing, if, it, if a tool like that exists, but um, it would be very, it would be very, very interesting um, it, it, to see what that looks like because I, 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 I feel like, I mean, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know if I'm right. I feel like I'm right. <laughs> Kim Haynes has killed a lot of stuff. He's one of the kind of like, unicorns in the in the industry um started out public land and and now he's able to do more things that are more private blah 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 that's neither here nor there but uh we went down this rabbit hole i want to kind of get out of this rabbit hole yeah (laughs) so hannah we're working on an hour here and i know you're on a time crunch um is there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we hop off no i don't think so we covered a lot of stuff. <laughs> we did cover a lot of stuff. I want to get you back on the podcast. Um, I'll get a hold of Sammy and uh, we'll go through the gamut again uh, another time. Yeah, for sure. So, Hannah, uh, for our listeners, where can they follow you? Where can they ask you questions on gear? Where can they go to see just what you got going on? Yeah, so the best place for people to to go to would be to Instagram. And my name on Instagram is Hannah, the plus size hunter. And there are periods between each word um, there in my bio, there will be links to all of my other like social media things, YouTube and uh, like to know it. If they wanted to like shop certain pieces of gear or whatever, they could do that um, blog posts that I've written and just all that kind of stuff. That would be the best place for them to go. Perfect. And then I'll have all that information in the show notes. Hannah, I really appreciate you hopping on with me and taking the time out of your day. This has been a really enjoyable conversation. Cool. Thank you very much. Yep. Thank you, everybody, for listening in to the Whitetail Theories podcast.